Good morning. How are we doing? It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, we have, as Rick said, been going through a series titled Questioning the Church. We've been doing a, an investigation looking biblically at what is the church called to be and do? What are we called to be and do? Last week I spent a great deal of time looking at church membership more on a macro level, on a large scale level. And what I want to do tonight, or sorry, it's not tonight. I have to work on that. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at it on a micro level. I want to zoom in and I want to focus on what is what are we called to as a church here and what are we calling you to for those of you that are in, are interested in pursuing covenant membership. And we're going to use, I'm going to define this word covenant here in a second, but we use that term very um, specifically, covenant membership. Um, the word covenant appears in the Bible uh, some 325 times. It's all over Scripture. And we could start at the very beginning. Uh, when you go to the very beginning of the Bible, we see covenant enacted um, in the Garden of Eden. Okay? We see it enacted in God's commitment to Adam and Eve to pursue them in relationship, even in the midst of their sin. Okay? But we also see it in the marriage relationship. A covenant being this, this relational aspect. Because you have a contract, and a contract is more law-based. It's more um, religiously based. But a covenant is based on relationship. Okay? So we see that in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden. We, we go a little bit further in Genesis uh, chapter 6 and following. You're familiar with the story of Noah? Okay? And God's covenant with Noah that he's going to really destroy the earth. And then after, or in the midst of destroying the earth, he's going to use Noah to build this boat, which is probably crazy to think about at that time. And people probably ridiculed him and gave him such a hard time. Why are you building this massive boat? Um, so he creates this covenant with Noah. And then he, a lot of times there, when there's a covenant, there's a sign of the covenant, correct? Okay, like the covenant of marriage, we have a, one of the signs of a covenant of marriage is a ring. Okay, but this covenant that he created with Noah, what's the sign of the covenant? rainbow, right? So he puts this rainbow in the sky that's like, anytime you look up and you see this, you're going to remember something. You're going to remember that I will never, my commitment to never again destroy the earth with a flood. Okay? Continue on. Like, so after Noah, then we have God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 and following, and this covenant, and the, and the symbol of, okay, I'm going to call you out, Abram, call you Abraham, and I'm going to use you, and through you will be, you become the father of many nations, and attached to this covenant in that time was the, the covenant of circumcision, okay? Continuing on, we have in Genesis 17, the covenant with Isaac. We have in Genesis 26, the covenant with Jacob. We have in Exodus chapter 19, and following the covenant with Moses, what's, what's known as the Sinai covenant, that's with it, this idea of God saving Israel out of the bondage with the Egyptians, Okay, in the midst of that, we have the process of the, the Ten Commandments. Later on in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and even in the Psalms, we see God's covenant with David that says, through your line, I'm going to bring a Messiah. Okay, so this language of covenant is all throughout the Bible, and I just covered the Old Testament. Okay, uh, a pastor, Mark Driscoll, says a covenant is this. Covenant is a promise by which we obligate ourselves to one another in such a way that the obligation of one party is not dependent upon the faithfulness of the other. Like, that's so foreign to our minds in America. 
Because when we think of commitment, it's like, you better keep up your end of the deal or I'm out. The second you stop doing what you said you're going to do is the second I leave. Well, that's not covenant. That's contract. But covenant, we're going to see over and over again, is based in is grace. based in grace. It's based in a relationship. Uh, check out a couple passages in Ezekiel. These are just amazing. You're familiar with Israel being this this picture of unbelievable hypocrisy, yet God faithfully loves Israel. Um, That's what's happening in, in Ezekiel chapter 20. Here's what it says. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evil that you have committed. So he's like, I want to remind you of how wicked you are. And then he goes on and says, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So he's like, I'm not going to deal with you as your sin deserves. It's just, it's crazy. Later on in Ezekiel, he says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. What's amazing is if you continue reading in that passage, that's where, what he says, what I'm about to do, that's where he says, I'm going to, you're you're so incredibly wicked. And then later on he goes, I'm going to remove your heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. It's just crazy. Like what covenant love is that? That he would not deal with us as our sin deserves. Then you have the passage in Hosea. Or if you're familiar with Hosea, God, God tells Hosea to go and take for himself a prostitute. And it's to be a picture of Israel and of our own hypocrisy, of our own sin. But yet, look, look what happens in, in Hosea chapter 2. Here's what God says. Even in the midst of that incredible wickedness, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord, later on in the next chapter, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Or maybe you had raisin cakes for breakfast. Anyway, that is just a symbol of what they would oftentimes offer, offer to idols. So if you had raisin cakes, they'll be time of confession later. So, so here's the deal. For quite some time, we've been working on a covenant. A covenant that really uh, we see as an ever-living, ever-changing document. Um, that we've put together with specific intentional language and purpose um, and, and the goal of this covenant, and we're going to walk through a good portion of it today. The goal of this covenant is this, that we have a means, that we have a tool by which we can always go back to, here's what we're called to. 
Okay, like for example, um, I keep in the front of my Bible my vows taped to the front of my Bible. Why do I do that? So that I can continually come back to what, what, have I, what am I committed to? What have I said to Danielle that I will, I will do? Okay, and so the covenant that we're about ready to go through, like Rick talked about earlier, the goal, of the co- the goal is not covenant membership. That's a means to what we believe, and I'll talk about in a second, a means to gospel change in our own lives and in the world. Okay? But the goal of this covenant that I'm about ready to go through is that we would have a means, a tool by which we can say, here's what we commit to together. And that, that our desire and what we want to do is we want to present this annually where we look at this thing together on a yearly basis and we continually are reminded. So it's not this like, oh yeah, I signed something like six years ago. I don't remember what was on it. But that in covenant relationship, it's like, here's what we're committing to. Here's what we're signing on to. Here's the part I'm going to play in this community of believers. So let's talk about this for a second. Why, why covenant membership? I want to give you two reasons why I believe, why we believe that covenant membership is a very biblical thing. Why calling you to active participation within this body is a biblical thing. Number one. The local body of Christ is God's vessel in which he produces gospel transformation in us. Okay, so God's design for this place and God's design for any local specific church is that it be a community whereby which we come into this place and we're engaged by each other and engaged by the gospel and it produces sanctification in our own hearts. Okay, that's the first reason. The second reason takes that a step further to say this, the local body of Christ is God's vessel through which gospel restoration is carried out into the world. So the change that happens in our hearts and the way we're pressed by the gospel and the way we're pressed by each other with the gospel then becomes the agent by which we go into the world to penetrate and push back sin that's in the world and be a means of God restoring what is dark in the world. That's why we believe that covenant membership is important. Now, I want to walk through the covenant. And th- this is uh, close to a final document, but, but here's, here's what I want to say before I go through it. Um, this is going to be a little bit different than I typically do when I'm up here. If, for those of you that have heard me before, um, you know, we'll go to a passage and we'll spend a great deal of time in that passage and we'll really walk through what's going on here um, not once, at least that I have planned, am I going to tell you to open your Bibles and turn somewhere. This is not normal for me, just so you know. Okay? I have 15 points that I'm about ready to make, rather quickly. Okay? Um, and there's going to be Scripture. You're going to see Scripture throughout this whole deal. Everything you see on the screen, there's going to be all kinds of references. We're not going to turn to all of them. Um, down the road, you're going to get a copy of this. Those of you that are, um, covenant, that are interested or the, that want to look through this. Just let me know. We'll give you a copy, and we'll talk about what this process is going to look like. But we're going to, we're going to go to these different things, and I'm going to put a, a couple passages on the screen, and we're going to talk about them, and then we're going to move on. So it's not my normal practice to not have you open your Bibles. I'm a big fan of you having your Bible in your hand, of you actually using it, working through it, looking through it, getting comfortable with what is it, how do you use a Bible. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to do that this morning. Okay, the, the, the first thing that we're going to talk about. Uh, we've, we've set this up in two ways. The first thing is, is your commitment 
to North Church as a covenant member. And then, in a second, we're going to go through what our commitment as elders is to you. Okay, so I don't want to, we don't want this to be this one-sided deal where it's like, you better keep up your end of the deal, or here's what's going to happen. But it's like, no. Relationship happens whereby we look at this document, and this is a means by which we commit to each other that here's your end, here's our end, and here's what we're working to together. Okay? Um, so, let's walk through a few of these and talk about your commitment to North Church as a covenant member. Number one, I will submit to the scriptures as the final authority on all issues. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We actually believe, believe it or not, that this is God speaking to us. That this is actually God's words written directly to us. We actually believe that. And that this is the final authority on all issues for all things for all time. Okay? So when things happen, when things come up, and it's like, well, how do we want to do this? And how do we want to do that? And what about this? And what about that? It's never like, well, I think this. And I think, and it's always like, no, what does the scripture say? This is our authority. This is our guide. This is how we determine what life is like, how life functions, how God designed us to operate. We never want to lose sight of that, which is part of the reason why we're calling you to commit to that. As we go through this process, one thing I do want to say, and we'll get to the the elders and leaders part in a second, but in order to be a leader in this church, you have to be a member. So no one could ever become an an elder who isn't a member. And so a member, first and foremost, is going to say, here's what I'm committing to. Because obviously we wouldn't want somebody to be in leadership who isn't in agreement with the theological stance and our vision and direction as a church. Okay, so even as I walk through this, these very things that I'm reading, even though I'm saying this, this is yours, for those of you that, some of you have been through the process of membership, Okay, and, and we're going we're gonna to redo this covenant, but some of you have never been through the process of membership, and so this covenant really is going to come at the end of our membership class, which we'll talk about later. But this, this is the same thing I'm committing to, because I'm, I'm one of you. Next thing. This one's a little more lengthy. I will take seriously my pursuit of joy found only in Jesus And his commandment to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Recognizing the role of spiritual disciplines, for example, Bible reading and prayer. Participating in weekly worship services, communion, North Church community um, service, and a life that glorifies Jesus. Mark chapter 12 says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to call you to pursue your joy. Can we do that? Can, can we call you to pursue your joy in Christ? Because that's what, if you read Psalm 16, if you read all over the Bible, pursuing Jesus is a pursuit of your own joy. And so we're going to call you to that. And in the midst of calling you to that, there's obviously different aspects of, of how that works and how that looks, which is why it goes on to the next part, in the next point, how we 
how we do that. Okay, so what happens when I'm, I don't begin to engage in community? What happens when it's evident that I'm not engaging God in prayer? What happens when I'm not serving? Well, next one. I will live a life of humility, understanding my need to continually repent and renew my mind. I will do this by taking my sin and confession seriously and willingly receiving accountability and correction from the elders and other members. I will also be quick to forgive James writes in chapter 5, verse 16 and following, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whatever, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Here's the beauty of repentance and the beauty of what it means to to confront people in their sin and be confronted in their sin is that the process of saving your soul is happening. Is that, is that not what it says? It's exactly what it says that when you confront a wayward brother from his wandering, it will save his soul from death. And so that's why we believe this is such a huge, a huge thing. Because you tell me anytime you've ever committed to to something, and you tried to walk it out apart from humility and apart from I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to blow it? Has that ever gone well? No. No. I, I grew up in an environment where I was taught that you really can't make mistakes. If you're really a Christian, you won't make mistakes. And they probably wouldn't have said it that way, but that's what I got from it. And the hard part with that is I don't really see that in the Bible. I don't even see that in, in life. I always thought that Christianity was this like really cool idea that really never was really possible. But I've come to realize that Christianity is, as a Christian, I'm becoming in practice who I already am in Christ. So I'm not working for my righteousness. I'm working from my righteousness. Okay, which is why this, this aspect of humility and repentance is a good thing. Next one. We talked at length about this one two weeks ago. I will submit to the authority of the elders as my God-appointed spiritual watchman. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This one's scary for me to call you to this because here's what it's saying is that I'm supposed to watch over your soul. That's freaky. I'll just say that if I can use that word here. Um, That's crazy. Uh, Every day I'm like, God, how in the world? God, help me. God, help me. Um, Because that's a huge responsibility that as a leader, I don't take lightly. And if a leader's not careful, they will abuse that like crazy. And God help us if that ever happens. Okay? So it's not a power trip. It's a, you know how God set up the family? The parents and the father. The father's the leader of the home. And the one who's directing the home. And the, the kids are called to submit. Well, this is the same structure. 
where there's spiritual, where there's parents, the elders, the leaders of the church are the parents, and they are the ones setting the direction and, and calling the kids, so to speak, to Here, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. Next one. I will be involved in regular community, recognizing that God's means of gospel transformation in me and through me happens in the context of people loving well and doing life together. This includes taking responsibility for the spiritual growth of those in the North Church community by way of loving and intentional accountability, rebuke, encouragement, prayer, and unity. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what? Honestly, I believe this is one that we're, we're pretty good at. We're pretty good at doing life together. We're pretty good at what it means to, to be together and life on life and, in, and living in community. Well, here's a concern that I have. Is that we're so close that it, at times can become just this enjoyable hanging out time with void of being intentional with the gospel, okay, so where you fail to live out what the end of Hebrews says, as you see the day drawing near. So it's not just like, let's just hang out and have a good time, but it's like, there's purpose. We're intentional with the gospel and what God's called us to. We're also very close in the sense that, I think if we're not careful, we're going to have a hard time letting people in. As much as I don't think that would ever be our intent, I think we need to be careful about that. That's, that's, that's the point of this, this one. The next one says, I will not be a consumer, but will do my part as a member of the North Church family and seeking out the ways God has specifically gifted and called me to serve and build up his body. I love this passage in 2 Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's like, hey, let's talk about your family. It's like, here's who your grandma is. Here's who your mom is. Now, from that, verse 6, he says, for this reason, so he's like, you have this unbelievable heritage. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So here's what he's saying. Be careful that you don't neglect your gift. That you're not just a part of, of a church that's just consuming, that's just taking in, but you're not serving. He's like, you have an unbelievable gift, namely the Holy Spirit, in your life, and what you need to do is you need to fan that. Have you ever fanned a fire? Okay, what, what happens? Like, the means by which God produces growth in our own lives and in the lives of each other is that we're working out our gifting, is that we're serving. Next week, Rick's going to preach in depth about that. And we're going to have opportunity to even sign up for opportunities to serve. Don't neglect your gift. It's easy to come to a place and just, eh, just chill back. But as a Christian, that's far from what God's called us to. A couple more. I will take seriously my call to be on mission with the gospel every day. Recognizing that God has specifically placed me in my context as a missionary to bring about gospel restoration amid a broken world. This passage in Acts, I think, is so foreign to our theology. It says, 
in Acts chapter, 20, chapter 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So what is that saying? The, the, where you work isn't just random happenstance. Where you go shopping isn't just random. Where you live, okay, so all of these things, it says that God has determined a lot of periods in the boundaries of your dwelling place. Why? Because you serve a missionary God who's called you to have the heart of your God who is a missionary, which means you're a missionary. Where? Africa? Maybe. Probably more like Florissant, Hazelwood, St. Peter's. That's your calling. To where you begin to live on mission with the gospel. We, we had an unbelievable, a great conversation yesterday at Band of Brothers. Like seven or eight of us just talking about who is in our life that God is calling us to engage with the gospel. And how can we be accountable each other, to each other? And how can we push one another to that? This is something that I think we need major, major growth in as a church. I think we're very good at loving. But I think there comes a point when we fail to actually tell them why we love them. Which really probably isn't love. You hear that? Because if we don't give them Jesus, then what are we giving them? A nice ride to hell. I'll be your friend, but yeah. Uh, last one under this part. I will steward the resources God has given me, including my time, talents, and money. This includes regular financial giving, service, and participation that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I think we have a hard time with this one. And it's a maturity issue. And you know why I say that? Because I, if, if I try to tell my daughter that what she has is not hers, like that just does not go over well. Okay? Um, you try to tell a two, three, four-year-old, that's not your toy. And so if they want to play with it, they can play with it. And it's a whole like, well, I got here first. and da, da, da. Like, Well, there's immaturity there. But even in our own lives, recognizing that everything I have is from him. Everything. So the clothes I wear and the car I drive and the job I have and, and the paycheck that I get is not mine. But I'm called to steward it. I'm called to utilize it for what? For the advancement of the gospel, which is a pursuit of my own joy, don't forget, and God's glory. Which is why we will continually call you to how are you stewarding your gifts, your possessions, everything that you have? How are you stewarding your kids? They're not yours. I have to remember that all the time. They're not mine. I'm entrusted with this. Okay? You're gifting. Everything is not yours, which teaches us to live open-handed. Okay, what do, you, what do you want, God? Okay, 
Well, you want me to quit my job and, and go give my life to this? Okay. We don't have much money. This person's in need. You want me to write them a check? Okay. Like that's how we live. We're, we're generous because Jesus is generous. That's the overflow of who we are. Which is why we'll also call you to, to give financially. Which is just a, a continual reminder of it's not mine. It's not mine. If you've been in any relationship, which all of you have and are presently, even if it's these relationships, you know that at times it's hard to keep up your end of the deal. At times it's, it's hard to continue and faithfully love in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty. It's hard. If, if you understand what marriage is or you are married, you understand that Sometimes keeping up your end of the deal is really hard. And there's times when you won't do that. Um, when Danielle and I got married, we specifically wrote our, we wrote our own vows. We didn't want to do like the cookie cutter deal that sounds real cute and here's what everybody uses. Um, we completely wrote our own. And we did it very specifically and very intentionally um, in this way. The vows that, I, that were for me, and it still are for me, I guess I should say. Um, we wrote with the mindset of, here's what God's called me to as a husband and as a father. Okay? And, and in the same way, we wrote her vows, and here's what God's called you to as a wife and as a mother. But we also wrote them specific in the fact that it's not like two separate, like, oh, he, Dave's over here and Daniel's over here, and they kind of don't really correlate. But even the language of the two of them, and if you want to look at them, whatever, you can. But even the language of, of both sides is very similar because we're covenanting to God and to one another. Okay, which is why we're going to do this next part, which is this. The North Church elders' commitment to you as a covenant member. So like I said earlier, it's not just a matter of better keep up your end of the deal. But it's like, no, we play a part in how well you, you do. <laughs> and really, you play a part in how well we do. So let's walk through a few of these. First one is your elders. Here's what we commit to. We will faithfully teach the gospel and keep it central to all that we do as a church Never neglecting the whole counsel of God. Look at this. Look at this passage in Colossians. Colossians 1, beginning at 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. So he's just laid out what the gospel is. Now, now listen to what he says in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. So what's the basis of his ministry? The gospel. He's like, I don't ever want to lose sight of the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin and the reconciliation of my wicked heart. That informs all that he does, and that will inform all that we do as a church, that we will teach the gospel 
from the entirety of Scripture. Next one. We will prayerfully and biblically appoint elders and leaders in the church. Luke chapter 6 just amazes me. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, "In, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So here's what he did. He goes out all night long, and he prays for who the specific guys are that, are, that he's going to call to walk beside him, to know him, to understand what the gospel is, and then eventually live it out and begin the movement of the church. See that? So what, what is he doing? It's that big of a deal that he would labor all night long in prayer. Because here's the problem. Giving people authority is a dangerous thing because we're sinful. And we have a bent to ourselves, and we have a bent to you abusing power and abusing our authority for my own gain. And we have to be very careful, which is why we understand the biblical qualifications of leaders, elders, pastors, deacons, from 1 Timothy, and Titus, and 1 Peter, and seek to use those as a guideline. Next one. We will be men of God who humbly and passionately pursue personal relationship with Jesus and lead the church out of the overflow of the work God is doing in our own hearts, first by his spirit. Philippians chapter 3, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. To the extent that I'm not walking with Jesus, I'm going to fail as a leader. I'm going to. To that extent. And so what needs to happen is this, is that as a leader, first and foremost, I'm to run hard after the Lord. Always. And that my leadership in this place will come out of the overflow of that. That we lead by his spirit. That I can then begin to say with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Three more. We will be men whose first priority is our homes. And leading our families well. Never neglecting them for the advancement of the church. But recognizing that the greatest leadership we can offer North Church. Is our leadership in the home. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I might need your help with that one. Um, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So we understand from the Bible that the testing ground of leadership in the church is leadership in the home. Okay? And that if, if if I can't manage my home well, how am I going to manage a church well? How am I going to lead well in a church? And so an elder's first priority is that their first ministry is the home. Because here's why. The problem in the world isn't just the church in part. Because what people want to do is they just want to bring their kids to the church and they just want to say, well, teach my kids and train them up in the Lord. All the while, they're horrible parents. And they don't know what it means to discipline their kids. They don't know what it means to rear them up in the gospel. And they're relying upon the church to do it. 
When in reality, our view and our perspective is we need better parents who understand how to lead in their home, who understand how to love their kids, who understand how to discipline their kids. And so the greatest thing I can give you is how I love my wife and how I love my kids. That's leadership. Next one, we will take seriously our call to shepherd and care for you, seeking your growth and maturity as a disciple of Christ, in part by equipping you for service and praying for you regularly. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. I've said before, we, we don't take lightly that idea of what it means to be a shepherd or what it means, I guess I should say, to be an under-shepherd. Your call to growth and maturity in Christ. That there's never a day when we say, I've arrived. But there's continually more of the Lord to press into every moment of every day of our lives. And the way by which we do that isn't just focusing on ourselves, but is focusing on What? Serving, which is in part is our calling to equip you to serve and to pray for you. When things are hard, when things are good, and rejoice with you in those things. Next one, where necessary, we will exercise church discipline by lovingly rebuking and correcting unrepentant sinful behavior that is harmful to the individual and the entire church body, as well as Receiving correction and living in repentance when we fail. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses, refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. We're sinful. We're, we're going to make mistakes. Our covenant is going to break. But the reason why we say that it's founded on the gospel is that what informs how we relate with one another is God's covenant to us. A grace-covered, loving covenant that doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Which means the way we relate with one another is such that we lovingly correct and call you back to your pursuit of joy in the Lord. And also that you do that for us. So it's not a one-way thing. Last one. We will take the lead in regular financial giving, service, and participation that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. Our giving lives will be an example to the body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To where we get to the point where our, the way we live our lives is really an example 
And to the extent that it's not an example, you have freedom to press us on that. Think about this for a second. I don't know how well you handle uh, receiving love. But if you think about who you are and what your tendencies are as a person, I, I cannot get over the fact that God loves me. I can't. Like, that just doesn't, doesn't resonate with me. Like, because I know me, okay? I, I know me. And, but what's amazing to me is when you read passages like we read earlier in Ezekiel, when you read passages like we read in Hosea, when you read these passages where it talks about, I'm not going to treat you as your sin deserves. Why? Because his covenant to us that the old covenant found all of its fulfillment in the person of Christ because the law can't fulfill the problem of sin. And so Christ comes as a picture of, I'm going to be the perfect lamb. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice so that by which now I can engage God in relationship. Because it's not that he's just like, oh, your sin, it's not a big deal. No, it was paid for. On the cross. And so, why is this language of covenant so crucial? Well, we need terms by, where, by which we operate, but we do it with the idea of God's covenant love for us. That, that's the goal of, of all of this, that we never lose sight of that. And so, Here's why we did this. Here's why I did this. Is I wanted to walk through and I wanted to take this time because we're in an incredibly crucial uh, part, aspect of our church as we're studying through what is the church and what is God calling us to and will we be obedient to that? That's such a huge thing. And what's amazing is to the extent that we're not obedient to that, man, God calls us back to himself and lovingly receives us back. And you know what? People want to take that and say, well, that's just going to, that's going to make you abuse it. When you understand grace, you don't abuse it. You don't. You want to run to it, not from it. Let me pray. Papa, I beg that you would work in our hearts. I beg that you would come and change my heart. God, that you would take all that we are and all that we do. And God, write your name all over it. God, we're desperate for you in this place. God, to bring meaning and value to all that we do. So God, I pray that as we think through 
your word this morning, as we think through your, the covenant you've made with us, based on your nature and character and on the blood of Jesus, God, that that would inform all that we do. God, you're good. We love you. We say, have your way in this church. Have your way in our lives. God, my prayer this morning is is just that you'd give us a glimpse of what would it look like if we really took you seriously? What would it look like if we really pursued our obedience? What would it look like if we said, God, use me to advance your kingdom? I want to be faithful to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be faithful to Jesus. God, we're dependent upon you to do that in us. Because at the end of the day, that's not our goal. Our goal is to serve ourselves. So God, forgive us. God, have your way in these moments as we respond, as we walk out the things that you're calling us to. You are good and we love you in Christ's name, amen.